0: You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Hey, if you have a Bible, grab it and go with me to John chapter 7. And uh, I'll pray for us in just a moment. Let me, uh, as you're turning to John chapter 7, let me just set the context for where we're going to go this morning. Uh, This is week 2. Uh, in a new series that we have titled The Rumors of God. And so the essential question that we're asking in this series is where is the life that God has promised in His Word? So I I don't think it's hard for us in a religious context like this to, to, to assume that most, if not all of us, have heard rumors about this life. We've heard rumors about this God. We've heard rumors about how he loves, how he's gracious, how he saves, how he satisfies, how he heals, how he raises the dead, how he's making all things new. We've heard the rumors. And yet if we're honest with ourselves, we struggle to experience that as a reality in our lives. And so we want to tackle that in this series. And our hope is that the rumors that you've only heard about, about this God would go from rumor to reality in your life and that you would actually begin to experience personally the loving presence of God and the life that he's created for you in Jesus. And so that's our hope in this series. And what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about one of these rumors from John chapter 7, and we're going to focus specifically on uh, verses 37 through 39. So if you'll look with me, John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. And uh, Jesus, actually John speaks first. John says this. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, and this is what he says, if any of you are thirsty, anybody thirsty, if any of you thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit, whom uh, those who believed in him were to receive for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. And This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together, and then we'll dive into it. So, Father, uh, it's, it's not an accident, it's not a coincidence that we find ourselves gathered here in the crossing this morning. Because every single soul in every single seat is here because you got them out of bed, you put breath in their lungs, They're breathing and existing, and you put it in their brains and on their hearts to come into this place this morning. And some people in this room have no idea why they're here. And yet I know exactly why they're here. You brought us here this morning to give us a taste of living water. And so, God, my prayer is that you would awaken the thirst that you put in each of us for you. Help us to feel the dryness on the palate of our souls. And help us to experience what it's like to drink from the bottomless well of your love and grace. Meet us here and do what only you can do. I pray that you raise the dead spiritually. I pray that you would save. I pray that you would satisfy. And I pray that that none of that would stop within the walls of this place, but that would flow. Let living water flow out of us and into this city. For your glory and for our good, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. How many of you have ever had this experience where you've been told uh, a certain story one way your whole life, only you come to find out later in life that you're not getting the full story? Um, we've all, we all have that crazy person in the family who tells really tall tales, and then you, you, you grow... Oh, this person, ra- uh, you raise your hand. That is you in your family. Great. Um, and then... <laughs> You uh, tell really tall tales, and then uh, you realize as an adult that they're full of it, right? Like maybe there's an original nugget of truth somewhere, but they've taken significant liberties with the story. Have you ever had that happen to you? Because I had that experience happen to me this week with my favorite storyteller of all time as a kid, and I would assume he's probably your favorite storyteller of all time. His name is Walt Disney. Okay, uh, my favorite story as a kid was Walt Disney's Pinocchio. Raise your hand if you're familiar with Walt Disney. There it is right there, 1940, baby. Walt Disney's Pinocchio. Um, I loved this story as a kid, and I'm not the only one. Many believe this is the greatest film Disney ever made, uh, one of their highest grossing films. Uh, the, the, the theme song, When You Wish Upon a Star, this film was so popular they made the theme song, uh, from this film, the theme song for all of Disney. So take that, Frozen. Uh, Pinocchio... <laughs> Pinocchio wins all day long. It's a better story. It's a better film, better animation, even though it lacks all the bells and whistles. Uh, Pinocchio, one of my favorite stories ever as a kid. So just to just to recap our memory here, Pinocchio is told through the eyes of his conscience, Jiminy Cricket, and Jiminy Cricket tells a story about uh, an old wood carver named Geppetto, who more than anything else in the world dreams of having a son. He desperately longs for a son. He believes that that will complete his life, that will satisfy his soul, that will make him happy. And so in desperate pursuit of his dreams, he does something a little weird. He carves a puppet out of wood, names it Pinocchio, and then he wishes upon a star that this Pinocchio would come to life and be the son that he's always longed for. And so he does. He wishes upon a star one night, and then the next morning he finds that this blue fairy uh, has come into his home, breaking and entering. Um, and comes into his home and sure enough, he's turned Pinocchio into a real boy. Only he's not like really fully human yet. He's like a half human, half puppet, cross breed, uh, why my parents ever let me watch this? I have no idea, but, um. But this is Pinocchio, right? And the Blue Fairy tells him, listen, if you want to be a real boy, you have to be good. If If you're a good boy, then I'll make you into a real boy. And we all know Pinocchio struggles with that. What's Pinocchio most known for? Telling lies. What happens every time Pinocchio tells a lie? His nose grows, right? Okay, so we know that he struggles with this, to be a good little boy. However, by the end of the story, he ends up saving Geppetto's life And the blue fairy comes to him and she says, you've proven yourself to be good enough. I'll make you into a real boy. And she cuts off his puppet strings. And sure enough, he becomes a real life, flesh and blood little boy. Now, that is the story of Pinocchio, right? At least that's the story you were made to believe is Pinocchio. Okay, this is where my my childhood was shattered this week because this is what happened to me. I was reading about Pinocchio. Don't ask me why. It's my business. But I was <laughs> on my own leisurely time reading about Pinocchio, and what I discovered is that's not the true story of Pinocchio at all. Walt Disney's Pinocchio was based on um, something called The Adventures of Pinocchio by Carlo Collodi. I believe I have a picture. Oh, there it is. There it is, Carlo Collodi. Now, this was originally a... Ch- uh, uh, an Italian novel written for children that was designed to be a cautionary tale that warned children about the dangers of lying. Uh, And (laughs) it's a much darker story than the original Pinocchio. What's terrifying about this version of Pinocchio uh, is that multiple times throughout the story, Pinocchio is beaten, robbed, and uh, tortured for telling lies. Uh, so what he does is he in the real Pinocchio murders his conscience, Jiminy Cricket, by smashing him to death with a hammer. There we go, right there. Uh, there that's, <laughs> that is a real picture from the actual story. You can go to the Greene County Library and you can check this book out. Uh, don't do that. But, um, but that's, the, that's the real story. So he says, I don't want to be a good boy. And he smashes his conscience and then he pursues to uh, build his life on lies and fantasies, right? Creating his own narrative and telling lies. Uh, and multiple times, he, of course, is tortured for that. Uh, here he is being placed alive into a frying pan. It's uh, just the worst thing you've ever seen. Uh, and here he is just after having his legs burned off for telling lies. Um, why? What kind of parent uh, reads this to their child before they kiss them goodnight? I have no idea. Uh, remember, Johnny, this is what happens when you tell lies. <laughs> Um, The Boy Who Cried Wolf on steroids is what you have here with the Pinocchio story. Um, Now, if you think that's bad enough, the way the real story ends is even worse. Rather than living happily ever after, the real Pinocchio ends up beaten, robbed, tortured, and hanged to death on a tree for telling lies. There he is. That is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Look at the two creatures watching him die. Like, what is this? Who, who reads this to their children? Uh, but this is, this is the story. Now, the reason why I share this with you, other than the fact that I wanted to totally freak you out uh, and tell you how my childhood has been ruined, the reason why I share this with you is because what I want you to see is that in changing the details of the story, Walt Disney helps us understand something profound about ourselves. And he gives us a powerful commentary on the human soul, and particularly a powerful commentary on Western American culture. See, think about this with me. Disney took a story about the dangers of of failing to embrace reality, the dangers of building your life on lies and fantasies, and he took that story and turned it into a fantasy about how you should pursue all your fantasies and your dreams because that's what's going to make you happy. Uh, Kaladi's message was was much more straightforward and much more real. Kaladi said, "Listen, if you build your life on lies, if you insist on creating your own narrative and pursuing your own fantasies, it will eventually destroy you." Disney's message was quite the opposite, wasn't it? As summed up perfectly in the film's theme song, I have the lyrics here for you. Let's uh, let's let's listen to the lyrics. Uh, when you wish upon a star, this is the message. He preaches to us in the film. When you wish upon a star, makes no difference who you are. Anything your heart desires will come true to you. If your heart is in your dream, no request is too extreme when you wish upon a star as dreamers do. Listen to the chorus. Fate is kind. She brings to those who love the sweet fulfillment of their secret longing. What is that for you? The, the song goes on. Like a bolt out of the blue, fate steps in and sees you through. When you wish upon a star, your dreams come true. Kaladi said if you build your life on false dreams, it will kill you. Disney said your hope is found in the fact that you can have anything your heart desires. And if you could only get it, if you can only have the things you want in life, then your dreams will come true. And you'll be satisfied, and your story will have a happy, redemptive ending, and you will live happily ever after. Why do we prefer Disney's version of the story over Kaladi's? Here's why. Because just like Geppetto, every single person in this room, in this city, and on this planet desperately longs for something ultimate that can save and satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. We long for something bigger than ourselves that can fill us and complete us and give us joy ever after. And the reason we prefer Disney's version of the story is because we live in a culture that has wholeheartedly believed the lie that Kaladi was trying to warn us about. It's the gospel of the American dream. I read one social commentator this week who said this. He said, commenting on Disney in America, he said, Disney struck what may be the very fundament of the American dream, The promise of a perfect world that conforms to our wishes. The promise that if we can get the things we want in life, we can change our story. And we can find the satisfaction and the happiness after which we thirst. You see, America is like life in a cult, he says. We act and we behave in ways we did not consciously choose. Dreams, by definition, are supposed to be unique and imaginative. Yet the bulk of our population is dreaming the same dream, are we not? It's a dream of wealth, power, fame, plenty of sex, and exciting recreational opportunities. Our imaginations have been taken captive. We're dreaming a false dream full of false hope. We need a better dream which requires animation by a better narrative. I want to submit to you that the reason that we're not experiencing the life that God has for us in the scriptures is because we are living in a false reality, chasing after false dreams that can never satisfy. And what Jesus wants us to see in this passage is that you were created for something bigger and better than this, something more ultimate and more satisfying than the American dream. And what Jesus does in John chapter 7 is he casts, he summarizes, and he animates for us the dream and the vision that God has for your life and how you can experience satisfaction and joy beyond your wildest imagination because it's the satisfaction and the joy for which you were made. So what is this better dream? What is God's dream for your life? A dream of fulfillment, a dream of pleasure like you beyond your wildest hopes and dreams. What is it? Well, that's what I want to talk about. So I want to jump into the story, and I get a little excited. I'm going to try to stay still because this thing keeps popping. So I'm going to try my best to be uh, a a good boy and stay very still. Um, Here's what I want to do. Let's jump into John chapter 7, and let's talk about this together. What's the story that Jesus is narrating that you were meant to live and experience? Okay, John 7, we'll start in verse 37, And I want you to read the text with me. Jesus says this. "Um, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Nowhere else. Let him come to me and drink. Okay, in order for us to understand this dream that Jesus is painting for you, we need to do the work to insert ourselves into the narrative. So I want you to come with me. We're going to leave Pruitt Street for just a second, and we're going to jump into the world that Jesus is in, and I want you to imagine yourself in this narrative. Okay, so uh, imagine yourself at this feast with Jesus. We saw back in John chapter 7 that Jesus is at this feast called uh, the Festival of Booths. Uh, And we're in the perfect time right now to imagine ourselves at this feast because this is the Jewish Harvest Festival celebrated at the end of September and the beginning of October. So it, it shouldn't be very hard for us to imagine ourselves. Imagine you're at this feast. It's the first week of October. You're at this feast with Jesus. You're at this party with Jesus. Everybody's eating and drinking and celebrating to their fill. And then all of a sudden, Jesus hops up on a table and he claps his hands and he says, Hey, everybody, let me get your attention for just a second. I know we're having a good time, but let me get your attention. I have a question I want to ask. Is anybody in the room thirsty? Jesus says. Now, am I the only one in this room who finds that a strange question? The, the, imagine you're at this feast and, and we, we see and look, look back in verse 37. This is the last day of the feast These suckers have been eating and drinking for weeks, eating and drinking to their fill. And Jesus stands up and says, Anybody parched? Can I get anybody another drink? A different kind of drink. And of course, if we're really going to try to imagine this dream that Jesus is casting for our lives, we have to ask ourselves, we have to put the question to ourselves, which Jesus wants to do this morning for you. How many of you in this room are thirsty? Thirsty for something more. See, that's that's what that's the brilliance of what Jesus is trying to communicate to us in this moment. Jesus is being a brilliant contextualizer and communicator of the gospel, far more so than me. Because what Jesus is doing, imagine you're at this feast, everybody's eating and drinking, and Jesus is... Uh, using a physical condition that describes all of us, we are hungry and thirsty people. If you don't eat and you don't drink, you will die. You will not have life. And Jesus is using that condition to describe a much deeper reality about your soul. You are thirsty for something. You are spiritually thirsty, Jesus says. Everybody's eating and drinking And Jesus says, hey, man, that's good. All that came from my father. That's all all good stuff. Enjoy it to the fullest. But let me have your attention for just a moment. Do you realize that you were created for something bigger and more fulfilling than that? Do you realize that at the bottom of the belly of all of your cravings and all of your longings and all of your dreams is a rumbling hunger and a deeper thirst that nothing in this world can satisfy? It's a thirst that drives you. It dictates your dreams and your desires and everything you do. Anybody in the room thirsty, Jesus says? See, look, if if we're going to understand the dream that God has created you to live, the dream that he wants to see become a reality in your life, it starts with understanding the fact that our story begins with the fact that you were created thirsty. Thirsty for God. Um, when I was preparing this sermon, I thought a lot about my dogs that I used to have. Um, I ha- I, there's not a day that goes by, hardly that I don't miss my dogs. My wife is glad they're dead. That's the kind of woman she is. <laughs> Breaks my heart, man. Uh, she hated them. I loved them. I had two dogs for about 13 years. And over the past year, I lost both of them within a few months of each other. Uh, I'm living in my own country song and, uh, (laughs) but, uh, I I miss my dogs. But the one thing I do not miss about my dogs is how obnoxiously loud they panted. I'm not not kidding you, man. The reason I started uh, sleeping, no joke, uh, with a sound machine every night, which I did way before I had children is because I could not stand how loud my dogs panted. They were the loudest Panterers, if that's a word, uh, that, that God has ever created. Just obnoxious. Have you ever stopped and watched and listened to an animal pant? It's, it's very off-putting, actually. Tongue hanging out of the side of its mouth, pasted to the face. Rapid, fast-paced breaths. David praised this in Psalm 42. i put it on the screen for you. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. David says, hey, that image of a panting animal, can I tell you something? That's your soul. See, we miss this about ourselves because we're neurotically busy. And we're so consumed and our lives are so cluttered with so much stuff. David says, listen, if you dare for one moment, slow down and stop and get still and pay attention to what's happening in your soul, you know what you'll hear? Panting. Desperate panting. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, oh God. You want to know why I struggle? to experience the satisfaction that Jesus offers, the living water and the life that he offers, the dream that God's created for me. You don't know why I struggle to experience it. It's the same reason you struggle to experience it. It's because as Christians, especially in this culture, we, we consume most of our time drinking from broken cisterns. We spend the vast majority of our time brink, drinking from broken cisterns. Here's what God says in his word in Jeremiah chapter 2. You don't have to turn there. I'll put it on the screen for you. Jeremiah Jeremiah 2 verse 11. Has a nation changed its gods even though they are no gods? Have we dreamed up our own realities, he says? Uh, My people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. It's interesting that God appeals to the rest of creation and says, can you believe what my people have done? And he goes on and says, Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. Here we go. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And number two, they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. See, this is the place where our dream gets shattered and crashed. The dream God created us for, the dream that we were originally designed for, to, to quench our thirst in God, to be satisfied in Him. This is where the human story goes tragically wrong. We were created to thirst after God, and yet He says what we have done is we have all turned away from God, the fountain of living waters, and we have created our own water sources, God says, that we look to to save and satisfy and sustain us. You want to know what God says to us? The only problem that you seem to be missing is that those things can never quench your thirst because those things cannot hold water. I mean, that's basic logic. I appreciate that about God because I'm a pretty simple person. He speaks to us in basic terms. Hey man, how can something fill you and satisfy you if that thing in and of itself is empty? How can something put your life back together and complete it and give you happy ever after if that thing in and of itself is broken? What happens at home when you shatter a glass or you break a glass? What do you do with it? What do you do with it? You trash it. Why? Because it doesn't work. It's broken. It's just as broken as you are. It doesn't work. I think this begs us to ask a question. It's a question I've been asking myself all week. What are the broken cisterns in your life? the places where you are running to and pursuing the satisfaction and the joy and the fulfillment that only the person in the presence of God can give you. What are those things? If you need some questions, by the way, that will help you, I find these very helpful for me, some questions that will help you uncover and diagnose your broken cisterns. Um, Here's some questions. What do you fantasize about? When you're at work in your cubicle, when you're at home changing diapers, when you're driving down the road, when you're working on the line, what do you fantasize about? Let me introduce you to your broken cistern. What do you dream about? What would be your dream come true? What does a picture-perfect life look like in your imagination? What's the one thing in your life, or maybe it's multiple things, that if you could just have it, then you believe your life would be complete and you would live happily ever after? Or let me put it to you from a different perspective. What's your worst nightmare? Talk about what do you dream about. What's your worst nightmare? What is it that if you never get it and you never possess it, or if you lose it, all your hopes and dreams will be shattered and crushed? For Geppetto, it was a son. What is it for you? See, we are raised, it is ingrained in us in this culture to believe this lie that if I can just work hard enough, if I can get the right education... If I can build a good resume, if I can find a good job, if I can make enough money, if I can build a successful enough image, if I can be fit and beautiful, um, if I can have financial security, if I can build a solid portfolio and have a good retirement plan, if I can meet the right person and fall in love, if I can not stay single for the rest of my life, if I can have happy, healthy children and a beautiful home, if I can pad my life with enough friends or at least get enough likes from friends on Facebook, if I can put enough comforts in my life, if I can have enough toys and take enough trips and have enough stuff then I'll have the satisfaction that I'm thirsty for. My story will have a happy, redemptive ending, and I'll live happily ever after. Let me tell you something. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be filled with the Spirit of God. You don't need Jesus to tell you that those are broken cisterns, and that's a broken dream. You only need your own life experience to tell you that that will never work. That's why it's never enough. That's why you have to constantly consume more because it doesn't work. Listen, man, I read another social commentator this week who talked about how there's, it doesn't matter how much stuff you want to consume, how much comfort you want to pad your life with, how much entertainment and sex and food and all that that you can consume yourself with, it's never enough to satisfy Here's what he says. Check this out. Put this quote on the screen for you. He says, too many people spend money they haven't earned to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't like. Does that sound like you? Sounds like me sometimes. In America, we consume twice as many material goods as we did 50 years ago. Over the same period, the size of the average American home has nearly tripled. And today, the average home contains about 300,000 items. On average, our homes contain more televisions than people. And the U.S. Department of Energy reports that due to clutter, 25% of the two-car garages don't have have room to park cars inside. And another 32% have room for only one vehicle. That's why when you drive by my house, you always see my truck in the driveway. Home organization, the service that's trying to find places for all our clutter, is now an $8 billion industry, growing at a rate of 10% each year. And still, one out of every 10 American households rents off-site storage, fastest-growing segment of the commercial real estate industry over the past four decades. Am I the only person in this room who, when I get very still, I often feel this cracked, dryness, parched feeling in my soul. And how there's, it doesn't matter how much stuff I consume, I cannot seem to fill that void. And I cannot s- seem to satisfy that thirst. Because you were created for something bigger and better than this. You know what scares me and keeps me up at night? Uh, the fact that some of you in this room would say, you know what, dude, I have all that stuff. All that stuff you're talking about, I have. I've achieved my dreams. I'm living the dream. I have all that stuff in my life, and I would say that my life is pretty good. No, listen, you know what C.S. Lewis would say about your life? He would say your life is actually not good. It's You're in a dark spot. You're actually, your problem is you're far too easily pleased. Lewis, here's a quote from Lewis. He says, it would seem that our problem is not that our desires are too weak, uh, are too strong, but they're too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine, he cannot dream what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased." That's my biggest problem. Lewis says, if you stop long enough and you pay attention, you'll hear this desperate thirst and you'll realize that drinking out of broken cups can never satisfy. I can't help it. I know it's a lot of quotes. It's also Lewis who said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is I was made for another world. A better dream, a bigger more ultimate reality. Listen, there are some of you in this room, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. I am so glad you're here. This is a safe place for you to be. You can belong here before you believe. You can journey with us. You can ask questions. You can be loved and challenged like everybody else. And there are some of you in this room who would say, man, that sounds, what you just said, I'm made for another world. I'm thirsty after God. That sounds as ridiculous to me as wishing upon a star and a blue fairy coming and making all my dreams come true. And if that's you, man, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad, I'm glad that you're here. I would only ask that you would be emotionally and intellectually honest enough with yourself to admit that deep down inside, you wish this was true. We desperately want to be satisfied. And Jesus says, anybody thirsty? Come to me and drink. And here's what's amazing. Let me make this last point, and then we'll land this plane. Here's here's what's amazing to me about Jesus. Jesus says, come to me and drink. And this is where the gospel is far different than the Disney gospel, because when you consume Jesus, it doesn't stop with you. See, when I consume stuff, all the garbage I clutter my life with, that's all about me. That has nothing to do with you. And I'll step on you to get it. When you consume yourself with Jesus, you cannot contain Jesus. And the very life of Jesus will flow out of your life into the lives of other people, and it will transform the world. That's God's vision for your life, by the way. Look at what he says in John chapter 7, what he says next. Look at verse 38. He says, hey, drink deeply from me. He's just saying, trust in me, surrender to me. And whoever does that, he says, as the scriptures has promised, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And Jesus explains what he means in verse 39. Now, when Jesus says, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Can you just dream this with me for a second? Jesus says, when you stop drinking from broken cisterns and you come drink from the fountain of living waters, you are filled with the spirit of the fountain of living waters and you can't contain that. That's going to pour out of your heart. That's going to pour into the lives of other people. That's going to transform everything. Jesus says you're going to become a walking, breathing, living channel and conduit of the fountain of living waters. I'm going to pour, I'm going to pour out of you, Jesus says. What does it look like when living water pours out of you? When you're working on the factory line, when you're at home, stay-at-home mom, when you're around the dinner table, when you're in a conversation with a friend, when you're on a date, uh, whatever, whatever, what does it look like for fountains of living water to flow? Well, I think we need to, what is, what, let's see what it looked like in Jesus' life when living water flowed out of Jesus' life. Look, look quickly, Matthew 4, here's what, here's what Jesus says. He uh, says, uh, Right after Jesus receives the Spirit and he goes about his ministry, it says he goes throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing people. This is where it's going to get crazy. This is going to blow your wildest imagination. Stay with me. He heals people, every disease, every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. They bring him all the sick, all the afflicted, the various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, uh, epileptics, paralytics, and he heals all of them. You want to know what it looks like when rivers of living water flow out of Jesus? People get healed. People get liberated from spiritual, emotional, physical, demonic oppression. Uh, the, The social rejects and the spiritual rejects and the outcasts of society get brought in and they drink deeply from the well of the Father's love. The people mentioned in this list were the dirtbags and the derelicts and the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the dirty people. And Jesus says, yeah, the, the, the kingdom of God is for these people. Now, why does the American church not look like that? Might it be possible that we consume most of our time with consuming Crap from broken cisterns. That's why we don't look like that. Jesus says, no, man, this is the dream for your life. That the the life of God would flow out of you and change the world. Change the person you work next to. Change your spouse you've been praying for for years. Change your child that has gone astray. Break the power of addiction in your life. This, This is what you were created for. Maybe you're saying, well, yeah, but that's Jesus. That's not me. Jesus says, no, 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 John 14. Whoever believes in me will do the same works I do. Even greater works than these because I'm going to send you my spirit. You know what that means, Fellowship Pier That means that if you're drinking from the fountain of living water, you have the spirit of God in you and you have everything Jesus had to do what Jesus did. The same spirit who raised Christ Jesus from the dead now dwells in you and flows out of you. Why is it that I don't even stop to think about laying hands on someone and praying for them when they're sick? It's because my mind has been taken captive by a lesser dream. I don't live with a sense of expectancy that God wants to reach through me and change people's lives and heal people and save people and satisfy people. I don't live that way because I'm told that on average, I I see the average American sees over 3,000 ads a day. So my mind is taken captive by a lesser dream. And Jesus wants to do nothing but shatter that dream in your life and call you to the dream that you were created to live. And here's the deal. If you're not consuming it, it won't flow out of you. And the inverse is also true. Whatever you're consuming will flow out of you. If you live for the American dream, you know what's going to flow out of you? Anxiety, because you can't control any of that stuff. If you live for money, sex, image, health, wealth, beauty, if you live for all that stuff, you know what's going to flow out of you? Anger, resentment, entitlement, disappointment, despair. Because all that can be taken away from you like that. And in the end, it will be taken away from you. See, I hate to break it to you, but Disney lied to you. And the American dream lied to you. We need to listen to Kaladi for just a second. Because if you build your life on lies and fantasies and pursuing your own dreams and having whatever your heart wants, it's not going to end well for you. Jesus says, if you're thirsty, come to me And drink. And he's made that possible for us. You want to know how? He poured out his life for you. Living water pours out for you. Jesus didn't hold this in. It's too good of news to hold in. No, he came to share it with you. He pours his life out on the cross. See, unlike Pinocchio, who's beaten, robbed, kidnapped, and hanged to death on a tree for being a liar, Jesus is kidnapped, robbed, and hanged to death on a tree for telling the truth. And he did it to actually bring you to life.